John 15, verse 18 to 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind it, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, it'll be a great help to have that passage open in front of you. We're going to be ducking back into an earlier part of John 17, uh, sorry, John 15 as well. Do you ever feel like it would be easier if you just didn't say anything? Do you ever feel that just bubbling beneath the surface of all of your interactions with your classmates or your colleagues is this unspoken tension that you are different to them, that you probably disagree on a lot of things, that maybe if you really got down to it, they really hate this Christianity stuff that you're into. Why do we feel that way and what are we meant to do with that feeling? Should we bury it, ignore it, tell ourselves that it's just in our heads? Do we just avoid the people and the situations that make us feel that way? Do you ever feel like it would be easier if you just didn't say anything? Tonight, we're picking up again our series in John, and on this night, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, just before he goes to the cross, Jesus is about to leave his disciples to die on the cross, and he will be killed by the religious leaders of the day who have been trying to kill him because they do not like what he says. They hate what he says about them. Three days later, Jesus will, will rise back to life and appear to the disciples. But after that, he's leaving them. He's going to be with his Father in heaven and he's leaving them with the promise that he'll be back, that he'll take his followers to be with him one day. But what about that bit in the middle? Jesus will be gone, but he knows that the hate mail, the death threats, the subtweets that he's been getting, they're not going away. All of that is now going to be directed at his followers, and he wants to get them ready for it. 
Jesus speaks about some heavy things in this passage. And he's doing it because he loves his disciples. He wants to get them ready for what's coming. We're going to see in this passage that Jesus is telling his followers two things. Expectations and preparations. He's setting their expectation so that they can prepare for what's to come. Jesus needs to set the expectation for his disciples. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He gives it to them straight. Get ready to be hated. He says that people in the world love what is like them. Jesus wants his disciples to know that because they belong to Jesus, they've been pulled out of that world, chosen to be different and part of something much better, but part of something different. In verse 1 to 17 of this chapter, Jesus says, being a follower of Jesus is like being attached to a vine. Jesus' followers are in him and he is in them and they're attached to Jesus in the most perfect, intimate, life-giving way. And the, the distinctive thing about this vine is love. It's not a grape vine that grows grapes. It's a love vine that grows love. And verses 7 and 8 of chapter 15 tell us that being chosen to be part of this vine is the best news ever. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Being a Christian, being attached to this vine is wonderful. It's for our good and it's for God's glory. It's a wonderful picture of the Christian life. But it comes at a cost. And that is what Jesus is telling his disciples in our passage. Being a follower of Jesus means that you'll be hated by the world. He says it there in verse 19, that you used to be in the world. Everyone who is attached to this vine used to not be attached to this vine. They used to be in the world, and the world loved them. See, the world is united by one thing. They are on strike against God. They have the kind of love for each other that comes from being a part of something rebellious together. And Christians have broken the strike. They used to be in this group, but now they've picked up their tools and gone back to work for the boss. And the world hates them for it. You used to be one of us. Do you think you're better than us? What makes you so special? And Jesus says that the reason they will hate you so much is the reason they went on strike in the first place. Because they hate the boss. Have a look at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus gives his followers the ultimate version of, it's not you, it's me. He says that of course the world is going to hate you because they hated me first. He tells them this because it will help take some of the sting out of the world's hatred for Christians. They hate you because they hate me. People will hate on Christianity in your lectures. You'll feel hatred when you don't conform to the latest social agenda in your workplace. 
you'll feel the hatred when you're made to feel like the square, boring, self-righteous Christian because you won't join in with your friends drinking. You won't join in with their crass talk. When you feel the hate, know that their business is with God. Expecting this hatred will transform how you experience it. As you experience hatred from the world, you'll be reassured that the world has recognised you as something different to itself. Hatred from the world will never be enjoyable, but it can be encouraging. Expecting hatred will transform how you experience it. We see this in the lives of the disciples themselves. When Jesus speaks to the, to the disciples here in John 15 and 16, they are scared, they're a sad bunch, full of fear about the future. But if we read in Acts 5, we see that the apostles are being pressured to stop talking about Jesus. Jesus has gone to be with the Father in heaven, leaving his disciples to take out this good news about Jesus, this good news about the risen King. Listen to how they respond to hatred in Acts 5, verses 40 and 41. They, that's the Jewish leaders, called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The disciples are expecting hatred and they get it. They get it in the form of flogging, but they know what this hatred means. It means that the world recognises them as belonging to Jesus. So they rejoice. But there's another link in the chain. The world hates us because they hate Jesus, and the world hates Jesus because they hate the Father. We see it in verse 22 to 24. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen me, and yet they have both hated me and hated my father. Jesus has come into the world with words and works. He speaks to them and performs these miraculous signs. And these words and works should be a big neon flashing sign. This man is God. Jesus has already said in John chapter 14 verse 9 that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus isn't saying that people who haven't met Jesus are sin free, but people who've had the biggest, clearest picture of Jesus and yet still rejected him. They haven't got a leg to stand on. They have no excuse. Jesus shows us who God the Father is. And so hating Jesus means hating God the Father. The people who killed Jesus were the Jewish elite, the ones people looked to for moral, spiritual guidance. And you might feel like we're in the same spot today, People with all sorts of influence have all sorts of compelling reasons for hating Christians. They claim the moral high ground over Jesus' followers and shame them for following him. 
But here's the comfort. Have a look at verse 25. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Both Jesus and the Father have told us to expect all of this. When we're boxed in by the world, when our freedoms are taken away and we feel threatened by the world, we don't have to panic. We haven't lost. This isn't the beginning of the end. This is part of the plan. This is going exactly the way God said it would. The world's hatred is without reason, but God has a plan. When Jesus says that line, they hated me without reading, without reason, he's quoting a psalm that was written hundreds and hundreds of years before him that shows exactly what Jesus will suffer. When we feel hated by the world, we can look back in the same way at Jesus' words from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in John 15 and 16. When we look out into the future, Jesus says we can expect to see hatred looking right back at us. And that is okay. We can be encouraged that we are being recognised as the people of God, just like the earliest disciples were. And we can be comforted. We're on course. God hasn't lost control. This has always been the plan. Being hated for following Jesus. Jesus talks about these things, heavy things, not to scare the disciples. Our response to Jesus' words here shouldn't be to bunker down or to run away. Jesus wants to set our expectations. Having the right expectations about the Christian life will allow us to be encouraged and comforted when hatred comes our way. Jesus has set their expectation. The surprise is gone. Now it's time for the preparation. What's the plan? We know the hatred is coming. What's the strategy? How are Jesus' followers going to prepare? Jesus tells his disciples that to prepare, they need to speak the truth and hold on to the truth. Speak the truth and hold on to the truth. In verse 27, Jesus tells his followers, their job is to speak the truth. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The disciples, they have a special task of speaking about Jesus because they've been with him. They've heard Jesus' words. They've seen Jesus' works. They have a special job to speak the truth about Jesus. That's how we end up with this book. The Gospels are the records of the disciples' eyewitness accounts about Jesus. And as they testify, they're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. They're keeping in step with what the Holy Spirit is already doing. Having a look at, have a look at verse 26 with me. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about me. John has a lot to say about what the Spirit does, but here he zooms in on one role of the Spirit. The Spirit testifies about Jesus. It's courtroom language, right? In the face of opposition, in the face of hatred from the world, the Spirit's job is to speak the truth about the words and works of Jesus. 
but we also must testify. We haven't seen and heard in the same special way that the disciples have, but as people who know the words and the works of Jesus, we also speak the truth. And what is the truth that we speak? It's the same as the disciples. It's the same as the Spirit. We speak the truth about Jesus. We speak about Jesus, about his death, his resurrection, all of the amazing things that Jesus has said and done for us. We don't hide from the world. We speak the truth to it. And that truth is the wonderful truth about Jesus. We speak expecting hatred, which frees us up. It frees us up to speak the truth wherever we are, at work, at the dinner table, with our friends. Along with the Spirit, we speak the truth about Jesus. As well as speaking the truth, we also hold on to the truth about Jesus. Let's have a look at chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus' words come from a place of deep concern about his disciples. He's preparing them for persecution and he's worried about them. But we need to see what Jesus' concern is for. We should make sure that our priorities match Jesus' priorities. He is telling them this so that they will hold on to the truth. The danger isn't that we'll stop, isn't just that we'll stop speaking, but that we'll stop believing. Hatred from the world will cause people to question what they believe. How could a loving God let this happen? Does Jesus really expect me to go through all this? To lose friends? To lose job opportunities? Did Jesus really die for me? Is Jesus really coming back for me? Jesus wants us to be prepared so that when those thoughts come, we won't fall away. We won't turn to what's comfortable or easy. We'll hold on tight to what we know, to who we know. We will stand firm. The world seems like a big, scary place at the moment. We might feel like things are moving in the wrong direction, like the sky is falling in on us a bit. But according to Jesus, nothing has changed. The world has always hated the followers of Jesus. What we need and what we have is exactly the same thing that sustained his first disciples through all sorts of suffering, sustained Christians for the last 2,000 years, and has sustained us up to this point. We need to hear the words of Jesus and hold on to them. He prepares us. He doesn't want us to fall away. He wants us to be able to remember his warnings so that we'll keep holding on to the truth. And that truth is the gospel. Our biggest fear isn't death. Our biggest fear isn't having this building burned down. Our biggest fear isn't being excluded from our friendship group or losing respect in our workplace. It's letting go of the promises of God. That is what Jesus is worried will happen. That would be the worst case scenario that we let slip the hope that we have for eternal life with the Lord Jesus. We don't know what the future will hold. 
we might keep facing that same awkward, difficult social pressure that we feel now. We might keep getting slighted at work or lose friendships for the sake of Jesus. In the future, we might face more organised, more targeted hatred from the world, where meetings like this aren't allowed, where we fall even more out of favour with our culture. Some of us might end up in places or situations where the options are holding on to the truth about Jesus or holding on to our very lives. Whatever the situations we face in the future, we must not let go of the truth about Jesus. And we can do that because we know that it's not forever. We can do that because we live in the hour of the world. Have a look at verse 4. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Jesus talks about the time that we live in as their time or their hour. All through this final discourse in John, Jesus has been talking about his hour. His hour is about to come. His moment of being crushed and killed. His moment of apparent defeat. Jesus' hour looks like death has won. But his hour is the moment of victory. The moment that kills death. His hour, it's a moment that is the exact opposite of what it looks like. And what comes after Jesus' hour is their hour. The world's hour. And just like Jesus' hour, their hour is the opposite of what it looks like. At that moment, it will look like the world has won. The moment that we are most hated, most violently harassed, most pressured to let go of the promises of God. But it's the opposite of what it looks like. At that moment, the world is condemning itself. Jesus is preparing us for that moment so that we will remember his words so that we will remember his warning, so that at that moment we will hold on even tighter to Jesus. John Patton was one of the earliest missionaries to the country we now call Vanuatu. Patton went to a place that at the time was full of cannibals, to people who had never heard the name Jesus, to people who hated him and hated Jesus because they did not know God. He often faced attempts on his life from the people he was speaking the truth of the gospel to. Listen to this story that he tells and listen to what kept him there, standing firm in the face of hatred. Once when natives in large numbers were assembled at my house, a man furiously rushed at me with his axe, but a chief snatched a spade with which I had been working and dexterously defended me from instant death. Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet, with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed to Calvary and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. John Patton wasn't better than you and me. He wasn't some superman, superhuman. He didn't know anything special that we don't know. He was simply a follower of Jesus, holding tight to the truth 
of who Jesus is and what he's done. Jesus' hour wasn't forever. It was for a short time. And after that came his resurrection and glory. The world's hour isn't forever. It's for a short time. But during that hour, Jesus wants us to be prepared so that we won't fall away, so that we'll hold on to the truth. Let's bring together what Jesus has said in this passage. Jesus says that his followers can expect hatred from the world, from the most religious types. The world will hate them. They'll hate them because they hate him, and they hate him because they hate the Father. He tells them this so that people won't be surprised. We can actually be encouraged in our suffering. Why? Because we know that people are treating us like this because we are being faithful to Jesus. What an honour. And we can be comforted that God is in control. It's going down exactly the way he said it would. And so Jesus wants his followers to be prepared prepared to speak the truth and hold on to the truth. To know that Jesus has died, risen again, and is coming back for us. To never stop testifying about Jesus, just like the Spirit. To be prepared for some hatred, for lots of hatred, for whatever hatred the world can throw at us. Not because we are strong, but because we remember the words of Jesus and put our hand in his, the hand that was nailed to the cross for us and the hand that has chosen us out of this world so that one day it can take us home to be with him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, for his words, for his works, for what he has done for us. Lord, as we face hatred, please keep us clinging on to your son. Please keep us speaking about your son, and would we be doing all of this in the strength of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your son. Amen.